0: So good morning, church. Our reading today is um, from John 1. And if I'm correct, it's uh, from, yeah, from verses 29 through to 51. Anyone want your Bible? Is there up the, plenty up the back? We're on page 911. Jesus testifies about Jesus from verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he has been, befo- because he has been before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down, And remain is the one who will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by and said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, in, he replied, and we will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John, who heard what John had said. And had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means, or translated is Peter. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Jesus, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Jesus found Nathanael there and, and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He said, And we then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on uh, the Son of Man.
1: so we'll be starting a new series today uh, three to four sermons uh, about the way of jesus Uh, we'll be doing one a month so a nice slow walk over the next few months so i want to give a few thoughts just to introduce some of those ideas walking is one of the most natural experiences in all of life Can you put your hand up if you have walked today? I won't ask whether you put active wear on and went for a power walk, but I think every one of us has gone for some sort of walk today. And so it's no wonder that God in the scriptures uses walking and walking with him to describe the spiritual life. One of my favourite examples of this is Enoch, the father of Methuselah. Now, he doesn't get much airtime in the scriptures. If you blink, you'll miss him, just eight verses scattered throughout the whole Bible. But what a wonderful life he lived. He's one of two people in all of human history that never died an earthly death. And at a time when humans lived for 900 or so years, he lived for a mere 365 A year's worth of years, just a young fella. In Genesis five, it says Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. Hebrews 11 says before Enoch was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now I heard a joke one day that God and Enoch were out walking and they were enjoying walking and talking so much that it got to the end of the day. And God said, look, we're closer to my place than yours. How about you just come home? It's this picture of beautiful, intimate, active, whole-of-life relationship. What an epitaph for your life. She walked with God. He walked with God through the scriptures we see this theme often in the beginning Adam and Eve they lived in the garden and they walked and they talked with God what a joy and then the fall happens but even in a sin-ridden world God provides the way for us to walk again with him he provides the way of salvation And those who repent and believe, who trust and obey, can discover God's way. Psalm 16 says, you make known to me the path of life. Psalm 119, I run in the path of your commands because you have set my heart free. And that prayer at the end of Psalm 139, search me, O God know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When we come to the New Testament and like many biblical ideas, we start seeing a richness and depth as we engage with the Lord Jesus and we see the way of Jesus. Very literally, his disciples were walking and talking with God in the flesh. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when we get to the early chapters of Acts, we hear the followers of the way was the way to describe people like us who believe Jesus. In Acts 9, Saul was seeking to persecute those who belonged to the way. In Acts 18, Priscilla and Achilla come alongside Apollos to explain the way of God. And in Acts 19, Paul in Ephesus, there is a disturbance about the way and people were maligning the way. And in Acts 24, Paul says to Felix, I worship God as a follower of the way. Now I've found this such a helpful theme, a helpful frame in which to view the Christian life. Walking and talking with the Lord. Active and relational. A life of worship and fellowship in the presence of God learning and living the way of Jesus. And it's such a helpful and relatable way to communicate the gospel to those who have not yet heard. I want to give you an example of how this has played out in one particular mission context. And as we look at this short little video, just remember that short little quote by John Piper, mission exists, because worship doesn't. There are places in the world where Jesus is not yet known, and so mission seeks to make him known so that true worship can happen. Mission exists because worship doesn't. We could say it that true worship will always result in mission. Now, the short little video we're going to see, it's by a man called Steve Saint. To give a little bit of background, the Walrani people of Ecuador, um, back in the 50s, were cannibals. And five men, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and three others, went to share the gospel with them. And they ended up being killed by this tribe. Nate's sister, Rachel, uh, and Jim's wife, Betty, they ended up returning to serve in this tribe. And young Steve got to go with them. Steve was Nate's son who was martyred. So as a 10-year-old boy, he started living in this tribe. And the short little clip we're going to hear is him talking about when one of the Warani who had heard of Jesus went back to negotiate, can these outsiders come and explain the way of God to our people? Listen up to this short little clip.
2: You know, a long ways on trail. So she waited there and some of the members of her family came immediately. And then later some more started coming in. She started telling them people, you know why I live? Because on the outside, some of the people, some of the foreigners are walking God's trail they can read these little marks on very thin wood just like when we flee from killings and the family is is separated they said and the father makes his markings so that the rest of us can follow his trail he Said, Wangungi he's like a father too and he sent his son and his son marking his trail now these foreigners they know how to read the sign and so they know how to follow God's trail and then she said and Wangungi the creator I know who he is now so she started telling them that and then they started asking her questions and pretty soon she couldn't answer anymore she said I don't know anymore but if you say that you won't kill her I'll bring my sister Nemo who is a foreigner who has white skin I'll bring her in here and she can answer your questions but only if you promise not to kill her and then she said and then there's another foreigner she's very tall she was the wife of one of those men that you killed and she said, she too knows how to walk God's trail, but she doesn't speak our talk. She speaks the Arunayri language. She speaks the Kichwa language, but living here, she can learn. She said, but you have to say that you won't kill them. So they said, okay, bringing them. If we see it well, we won't kill them and they can teach us.
1: What a wonderful testimony. The gospel coming to a remote jungle tribe in Ecuador, so that they can learn to see things well and learn to walk God's trail. So this is our plan over the series, over coming months, a slow walk that we might learn uh, and live the way of Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at come and see and learning about the theme of worship. Then come and learn and learning about discipleship Come and Stay, the theme will be fellowship and abiding with God. And week four, Go and Serve, Partnership, another type of abiding with the Lord. Let's pray and then we'll get into today's message. Lord God, we do want to thank you that you don't stay hidden, but you reveal yourself. Thank you for this little story that we heard of how you began to reveal yourself to a whole tribe and that there were many in that tribe that came to know you. We pray that you would help us this morning to come to know something of the way of Jesus, to come and to see who he is so that we can trust him and be captivated by him and that we can dedicate our lives to him, amen. Now today our journey begins with an invitation to come and see. We're going to spend some time in John 1 and learn about a life of worship, but we're going to start with a story, and it's a story about young Caleb. Now he is within an arm's reach of the audio, so if this story gets muted, then you know why. Um, Some years ago we were in the Serengeti, Caleb was nine. Um, and we were in the Serengeti in Tanzania. And our tour guide said to the kids, righto kids, what animals do you want to see? And Linda and I looked at each other and smiled and thought, let's see how this goes. And Caleb says to him, I want to see a servile cat. Now Africans don't often sweat, but this tour guide started sweating. Young boy. That is the rarest cat in the Serengeti. Perhaps we can find some lions or cheetahs or maybe even a leopard. What do you think? And Caleb said, no, I want to see a serval cat. Now, as it turned out, later that day, we're driving along and suddenly Caleb yells out, stop, I see it over there in the grass. And the tour guide looked And a big smile came over his face and he said, well, young boy, you have done well. You need to take my job. That is the first serval cat I have ever seen on the Serengeti. Now, often we only see things when we are intentionally seeking them. And often it's only when we slow down and stop that we find what we're looking for. And sometimes we need a friend to show us where to look. Have you ever noticed how much seeing and believing are linked? Faith is that capacity gifted to us by God, almost like a sixth sense to see what is ultimately true and real and to grab hold of it. One of my friends has a saying, two men sit in a prison cell. One sees bars and the other sees stars. One is stuck in his circumstances. The other can look through and look beyond and see what is truly there. Now, John's gospel is written with an overriding purpose. In chapter 20, verse 30, it says, these things are written... That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John wants us to see Jesus so that we would believe and live. And this is especially true in chapter 1. The words see and look are everywhere in this chapter. I counted about 20 references. So we'll take our time this morning to go on a little tour, this time with the Spirit of God as our tour guide, even better than young Caleb. We'll look at some application along the way, and there'll be a challenge for you at the end, or perhaps an invitation, depending on how you'd look for it. Let's see what God wants us to see. We'll start with John the Baptist. Now John the Baptist is a giant of the New Testament. 89 mentions of our friend. John was a cousin of Jesus, three months older. Their mothers had bonded during their pregnancies and so you know what that means. The young boys had lots of play dates as and dad, or the two mums caught up for their equivalent of coffee and a chat. And Jesus and John would have grown up together, uniquely bonded and connected because of the pregnancies of their mothers. At what point do you think young John came to realise there was something special about his cousin Jesus? He would have had some clues along the way, but the clincher came when they were both about 30-year-old men And Jesus stepped into the river Jordan to be baptised by his cousin. Now that unique baptism is described in Matthew and Mark and Luke. It says, when heaven opened, the Holy Spirit descended, a voice boomed from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. I'm really pleased with you. Now, our stories in John chapter 1 come just after that event. That event happened just before verse 19. From that event on, everything was clear for John. My cousin Jesus, he's the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Who am I? I'm simply a voice calling out in the deserts, make straight the way for the Lord. His life's purpose had become clear. I am to prepare people to meet the Lord Jesus and then to fade into the background. What a wonderful freedom John would have enjoyed from that point on. I don't have to make life work for me anymore. My purpose is that I get out of the way and help people to see my cousin, Jesus. Now, in John 1, we're given two scenes of how this fleshed out for John. A man of conviction now, a man who had seen something of Jesus and wanted to make that known. On one day, the religious people came to him and they were puzzled by John. Who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And John says, it does not matter who people think I am. It's all about Jesus. He's the real deal. And then a little bit further on, the next day, he sees Jesus walking past and says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I was talking about before. And then he actually describes the baptism of Jesus when he saw this voice and heard this voice and saw the spirit to descend. And he says to people, I have seen and I testify that this is the son of God. Now, a little bit of application. Uh, we've just come back from a holiday, 10 days living on a Hindu island. Temples, temples, temples. Everywhere and every day, incense and offering in restaurants and shops and taxis and rice paddies. The local people live with an awareness that something is not right in this world. And they live with a false hope That if only they keep giving offerings, somehow things will work out better. So sad. So hopeless. So helpless. And yet you and I, we believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. The offering of the one and only Son of God is the sufficient Sacrifice for sin to be dealt with once and for all. For all who look to him and trust him, they can be free from sin. Free to truly live as our creator intended us to live. Now John the Baptist saw that. And so he told people, look, it's all about Jesus. He's the one and only. He is the only way. Remember, mission exists because worship doesn't. And true worship always results in mission. Have you seen Jesus like this? And are you pointing people to him? Now John's life is summarised a couple of chapters later. In John 3, verse 30, he must become greater and I must become less. Now, one of my friends was converted in his early 20s and he grabbed hold of this verse and it became his life verse. He'd found his place and joyfully grabbed hold of it in both hands. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus. He must become greater, I must become less. My life's work is to put the spotlight on him. So some application. Is this your life's work? When you wake up each morning, is it with the hope that your life today would somehow point someone to Jesus? Do you ask the Lord to create these opportunities for you so you can take that opportunity to put the spotlight on him? Be encouraged that this is exactly what the Holy Spirit of God loves to do. So be sensitive to his prompts and follow his lead. He would love to help you with this. Let's look at our next story, Andrew and his brother, Rocky, also known as Peter. By this time, John the Baptist had gathered a few disciples. They were moved by his teaching and they were eager to learn God's way from John. But John the Baptist knew that now things had fundamentally changed. So, when Jesus walked past, he said to his followers, Look, that's the Lamb of God. It's no longer appropriate for you to follow me. It's time to follow him. And so, in chapter 1, verse 37, we see when the disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Some application. When you see something of Jesus, do you speak that out with someone? Do you share it? He must become greater. You must become less. Get their eyes on him because they might just start believing him and following him when we point that out. So Jesus starts engaging with Andrew and the other disciple, John. They've taken their first steps on the way of Jesus and immediately Jesus connects with them and a short little conversation happens. Jesus says, what do you want? They say, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. Now John's the sort of author who has layers and nuance of meaning. He writes for not yet believers and he also writes for lifelong believers. His words make sense on the surface but there's often layers and layers and he's coaxing us into a deeper journey and this style is something that he learned from Jesus himself. Jesus says, what do you want? Why are you following me? What are you truly seeking from me? Jesus often probes like this, and we can take the question as deep as we want. So an application. Why have you turned up to this building today? What is it that you are truly seeking? Do you truly want to know and trust and worship the Lord Jesus. Is this what your life is oriented about? Or has something else crept into your life? Something that's grabbed your attention and and is distracting you from him? Let the Holy Spirit probe your heart. Let Jesus take his rightful place. Seek him in the fullness of his glory. What do you want? And then the disciples say, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. So this time, Jesus actually gives the invitation, come and see. Now, on the one level, Andrew and John are simply asking, hey, what's your accommodation for the night? But the word they use is the same word that we'll come across in John 15, the word for abide. It's a deep and profound idea describing connection and intimacy with the true and living God. The disciples have no idea at this stage what they have actually asked. And so they have no idea what Jesus is actually inviting them into. Jesus, where are you staying? Where are you abiding? Where does your life and your joy and your purpose come from? And Jesus replies, I abide with my Heavenly Father. My life comes from Him, and yours can too. Come and see. And I will show you what that sort of life is like. That's where we're going to head in a couple of months when we dive deep into that idea. What did Andrew do after he glimpsed something of Jesus? Verse 41. The first thing he did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Christ and he brought him to Jesus. Now again, with a wink in his eye, Jesus spoke life into this young man, Simon. Simon, son of John, you have now met me and everything is about to change. So I'm changing your name. From now on, you will be known as the rock. Now some application. When you truly come to Jesus and see him for who he is, you will never be the same. Whatever your struggles have been up to this point, the most profound change to your identity happens as you see and believe and start relating to Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Now, if you pardon the pun, the life ahead for Peter, the rock was to be a very rocky road. But he was no longer alone as he walked that rocky road. Jesus had spoken a new identity into his being, and that word would last forever. Peter would grow into his new identity and bring great glory to God. Now let's look at a third story, Philip and his sceptical friend Nathanael. Now this one's really interesting. Look in verse 43, we see that Jesus finds Philip and Philip finds Nathaniel, and says, we have found the promised one. You see, God always initiates the relationship. He seeks us out and we respond. And then we reflect God when we go and find others and tell them all about the one that we have found. Now, Philip's friend Nathaniel is not quite as excited as Philip is. He was lazing about under a fig tree when he heard Philip's ideas. And whilst he he dismissed them initially, can anything good come from Nazareth? He was moved by his friend's invitation. Come and see. Some application. Do you have friends like this? Friends who perhaps don't share your enthusiasm for Jesus. They may have some barriers or assumptions or different experiences that have gone on in their life, and that means that they are distant. Yet perhaps all they need is a friend a friend like you, a friend who goes to them and finds them and offers a free but very intentional invitation to come and see. When Nathaniel meets Jesus, again we see how Jesus is initiating the relationship. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching. And already knows him. And Jesus saw Nathanael even before Philip went to call him. And so in verse 49, Nathanael sees something of Jesus. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus says, that is just the beginning. You will see even greater things than this. What beautifully told stories. We can be so thankful for our friend John. By the time he wrote this gospel, he was an old man in his 80s or 90s. How sweet it would have been for him to remember those first encounters 60 or so years before. It was deeply personal for him. He was in these stories. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. He was one of the two that John redirected to now become followers of Jesus. He was with Andrew as they went and they got Peter. And then he was a bystander, watching Jesus, seeking out Philip and then his friend Nathaniel. This was all the beginning of the journey for John as well. The come and see invitation was one that he grabbed hold of with both hands. And in the next three years, he was to witness more and more of the unique life and mission of Jesus. Front row seats of the history changing life of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. But you'll notice that today we have passed over the very beginning of John's Gospel. It contains some of the richest words in all of Scripture. You see, the invitation to come and see was not just the beginning for John. For the next 60 years, he continued to seek Jesus. Six decades of walking the way of Jesus. What wonderful things he came to see. And these first 18 verses... A six decades worth of reflection of a lifetime of walking with Jesus. Now, as I was preparing this talk, I wrestled on how much of this chapter should we preach from. And to be honest, I looked at these first 18 verses and they daunted me and overwhelmed me. How can I preach from these words? They are too good, too rich. Too glorious. If I make an attempt to try to teach them or explain them, I'll probably muck it up and get, ri- get in the way of their beauty. And then I came across this wonderful encouragement. It said, the great Bible translators of history knew this, that the very best preacher is the Bible in the language of the people. You see, the Holy Spirit penned these words in the start of John 1 through the reflections of John the Apostle, this seasoned, older disciple. And the Holy Spirit is present today, ready to bring glory to Jesus by making these words come alive in your heart and in your soul. So I'm going to do my best to get out of the way. I'm going to simply read these wonderful words and ask the Holy Spirit to do what he does best. Help us to see Jesus for who he is and move us to worship him. And when I finish reading, I'll give you a challenge or an invitation, depending on how you want to see it. Listen to these words. In the beginning was the word... And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. There came a man who was sent from God, His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all people might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to those which were his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. What wonderful, wonderful words. Now a challenge, are you up for it? Your challenge and the invitation is to come and see. Now you and I, we know the difference between fast food and a slow cooked meal, between instant coffee and an espresso, between tomato sauce and a rich marinade, between a fake tan and a month's holiday in Queensland. We know the difference between these things. Do you know the difference between hearing the word of God and taking it to heart? The words we have just read, they're not fast food. They are a slow-cooked meal and worthy of enjoying. They're worth marinating your soul in. And the best way to do that is to memorise them. Because when you take time to memorize, you take time to meditate and it will shape you as a worshiper of Jesus. Now you might think this is unrealistic, but imagine what would happen to your soul if in the next month on a daily basis you committed to memorizing these 18 verses. Now, if you're daunted about that, I've got a few tips. You might think, are you too busy? Well, prioritise. Remember Caleb in the Serengeti. We see things when we passionately and intentionally look at the right place. And when we slow down in order to see. Do you have in your life a daily rhythm of a time to seek the Lord and to be with him? If you're a morning person, do it in the morning. If you're a night person, do it in the evening. If you're a human person, do both. It's what we're made for. This beautiful invitation of God He says, come and see. If you've got a regular rhythm of spending time with the Lord each day, then perhaps take once a week, extend it for a few hours and seek him. Now, the more ways that you engage with this, the richer it will become. So read it, write it, listen to it, speak it. Pray it, believe it, obey it. One little trick that I've learned is this. When you came in, if you're a crossword or Sudoku person, you've probably been puzzling at this, but hold it in your hand and look at it. This is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. It's there to get you started. There's familiar kind of words, but this starts deep diving it deeper down into your heart. Consider doing it with others. Consider sitting with your mum or your dad, your brother or your sister, your husband or wife, an old friend or a new friend, and read and learn this together. And if the Spirit shows you something of Jesus as you commit to this, find someone and tell them what you have just seen of the Lord Jesus. In the speaking out of it, it goes deeper into our soul. And one final little thought. Each day as you soak in the wonderful truths of John 1, 1 to 18, have a spoonful of honey or a piece of chocolate. Psalm 119, verse 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste. They are sweeter than honey to my mouth. We are embodied creatures designed to taste and see that the Lord and his ways are good. So enjoy your time in the next month, In John chapter 1. May the Holy Spirit enable you and enable me to come and see the glory of God in the person and life of Jesus. So let's bring this to a close. The way of Jesus begins when we come to Jesus and see him for who he is. This is how a life of worship begins. It happened to John the Baptist. To Andrew, to Peter, to Philip, to Nathaniel, to John the Apostle. He must become greater. You and I must become less. Have you seen enough of the greatness of Jesus to dedicate your life to this? Are you actively seeking him in order to see more of him and know him more fully? And are you actively inviting others to see what you have come to see? True worship always results in mission. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for authoring these words. Thank you for what you've been doing in the last half hour or so to help us see the Lord Jesus. Thank you for probing our hearts, encouraging us where that's what we've needed, correcting us and rebuking us and provoking us where that's what we've needed. But we thank you, Holy Spirit, that it's your joy to help people like us come to know the Lord Jesus and love him and trust him and to walk in his way. Please help us over this coming month to get to know him better and more fully and to dedicate our lives more completely to him. Amen.